University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. In 1997, the top grossing movies were Men in Black, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Liar Liar, and, and Air Force One. So as Harrison Ford was yelling at Gary Oldman, get off my plane, and punched him in the face, the, uh, the Titans at Blockbuster were laughing their way to the bank. Because at that time, they had the corner market of the VHS and DVD rental services. That same year, uh, two buddies started a fledgling company that took a chance on this new video technology called DVDs. They had faith that VHS tapes were going to be a thing of the past and that American consumers would be willing to not just purchase brand new DVD players, but rent them by having them shipped to their home. They started Netflix as one of the first home delivery DVD services along with patrons to rent a movie and simply just drop it in the mail when they were done. Blockbuster laughed their way to the bank at the beginning of this. And yet when the fledgling company skyrocketed to the top and then toppled blockbusters of the world, they saw beyond the mail-to-home order option and innovatively considered an online, on-demand possibility instead. Nowadays, Netflix is synonymous with streaming, on-demand, or original content. Netflix is the primary driver behind why so many of us cut the cable cord and why so many other major networks are now trying to develop their own streaming services. As of July 2021, Netflix has over 209 million subscribers in the U.S. and 72 million uh, around the world. Now, there would be a lot more if so many other people weren't sharing accounts, of course, this time. You know, we look at a company like Netflix, and, and we believe it takes enormous organizational shifting steps to become successful. But what if it's not about huge changes that make a difference, but the little big things? More often than not, when we, when we take a look at the success and failure of a church, we believe it takes huge overhauling change. And so churches will either subjugate themselves to change their entire identity to model themselves after the latest, fastest growing church, or they will settle into immobility, not wanting to compromise their identity. We've convinced ourselves that the difference between one thriving church and one failing church is as different as night and day. But what if what separates successful churches and failing churches is relatively small? What if the difference between thriving and floundering focuses on the subtle and small things that make incredible differences? We're starting a new conversation this morning, the little big things, how shared spirit-led commitments drive oversized results. And throughout the series, we're going to be journeying through the book of Acts that hosts this really unique and repetitive statement not found anywhere else in the New Testament. It reads, and the church grew in numbers. 
So for this, we take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 4. It says, As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Where are we at in the church's context? Well, Paul has been taking the gospel beyond the confines of a Jewish-centered mission for the church, and that has raised some major issues as he goes into the Gentile world. In fact, Paul's ministry was growing, and because of the growth, it raised a lot of conflict in the early church. And as Paul is leading these Gentiles to Jesus, some of the Jewish Christians were indignant that these Gentiles must be circumcised before they come to faith. Now, everybody, you can just see the pained look on your face when I drop the term circumcision, so we're not going to have that conversation this morning. So here's what we need to understand. The church was drawing a line in the sand between who is in and who is out, what you must do in order to be a member of their church. And Paul does a very Jesus-centric thing by taking this Jewish-centric movement beyond God's chosen people to the outsiders, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and the church leaders didn't like it. In fact, they had to have a debate over the matter. So that's what we're coming out of and leading into our text. Paul and his fellow companion, Barnabas, went to the church in Jerusalem. They debated the matters between Peter, James, and John. This is called the Jerusalem Council. The church leaders debated, they discerned, and they decided that they were no longer going to have, quote, insiders and outsiders. No longer were they were going to require non-Jewish believers to commit certain religious practices in order to be considered full members of the church. And what's very significant for our text, the church also discerned that Paul and Barnabas would return to the churches they had already established to encourage them. And this is what we viewed as the best source of their time and their talents and their resources. So the church voted and commissioned Paul and his companions to go. And verse 5 tells us that they had amazing success. It says that the church grew daily in numbers. This phrase repeats again and again throughout the book of Acts. The church grew daily in numbers. So they discerned, they voted, And they were growing. But again, we come back to the question of why they were growing. Was their faithfulness the reason that they grew? I mean, these were the people who followed Jesus when he was here on earth. Were they just so purely and unabashedly following faithfully to what God had called them to be and to do? Were they praying the right prayer? Were they studying the right scriptures zealously? Were they worshiping in the right style? These are some of the questions we ask when we see churches have overwhelming success while others are struggling. Is it because their faithfulness that they are growing? Which then leads many churches to think, well, are we not faithful? See, these are tough questions to consider. But at this point, it's important to understand that the disciples, the people who walked with Jesus, discerned and voted on what they believed God was calling Paul and his companions to do, and they were growing. But look at what happens in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, 
Having kept by the Spirit of God from preaching the word in the province of Asia, they came to the border of Mycenae and tried to enter into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed down Mycenae and went down to Troas. You could probably capture Paul's thoughts in a simple phrase. Excuse me, God, but we, you are getting in the way of what you told us to do. Here is Paul and his companions doing exactly what they were commissioned to do by the church leaders, the very men and women who had followed Jesus on earth. The committee had met. They had discerned. They had voted. They had pulled their resources together and commissioned them to go back to the churches and to encourage them. So why is the Spirit of God blocking them from doing this? And what exactly did that look like? Was there some sort of actual roadblock or some sort of road construction that prevented them from going forward? Was there some sort of unearthly creature that was blocking them along the way? Or did they sense in real time that God did not want them to move forward? We really don't know. But what we do know is that the Spirit of God was not letting them go where they thought they were supposed to go. So they headed to the city of Troas to rest for the night. This is a, a tough place to be in, to have your plans stopped by God with, with uncertainty about where and what you are to do next. I've been there before. You've been there before, haven't you? The place where you are doing exactly what you felt was right. Maybe even the place you believed that God was calling you to, but it doesn't happen. There is a roadblock. The Spirit of God stops you from moving forward. As I was reflecting on how UBC has been there before, I had to study our history because, of course, I've only been here about three and a half years. And I, I intentionally asked some of our members if they thought of roadblock moments in our history. One of our oldest members told me about when UBC outgrew their original gathering place near campus and needed to buy property, but they didn't know where the money was going to come from, a roadblock. Another member shared a roadblock of the feeling when Reverend George Hale retired as the pastor of UBC after nearly 30 years of service. Another shared the pain of having to shut down the Child Development Center many years ago. One member painfully shared the anxiety and disillusion of the infighting that led to membership to partners years ago. Did you know that just in the nine months I was walking alongside the pastor search team, we had some members who were pillars of this congregation pass away in a short period of time. And then the roadblock of the COVID-19 pandemic. You see, roadblocks can lead to fear and anxiety and immobility. And all such things cause us to work out of a sense of scarcity. And so as we look back at our text, we must understand that the decision to do what Paul was doing was given to him by the very men who physically walked with Jesus, who knew his teachings, who understood the Spirit of God, and felt clear about what Paul was called to do. They were the so-called experts in their field. And after you've wrestled with what just happened questions, you might begin to wonder why this is happening. You've been there before, right? Something doesn't go the way you planned or thought that God wanted you to do, and you're left there scratching your head, 
on why you failed. What did I miss? What did I not see? What did I not hear? Could it be that the church leaders simply misunderstood what God was calling Paul to do? Yes, of course. Could it be that you and I often misunderstand God? Absolutely. We, we live in a culture that wants to be right all the time, that we've developed habits to never actually believe that we can be wrong. You can be wrong. I hate to break it to you, but I can be wrong. Some of you are like, we know. The church can be wrong. And that's okay. Sometimes we simply misunderstand what we discern God desires for us and with us and through us. And it could it be that roadblocks on the way to Mycenae was an important part for forming Paul and his friends for something else different down the road? Could it be that the no's and the roadblocks we, we face are, are incidents and encounters that are forming us for something different to come? I'll give a, a word of caution. We can all too often get caught up in the why question that we never move forward because it consumes us. And I believe that there's another alternative here. When we consider why something has happened, sometimes we fail to see what God is actually doing in the moment. And we don't know what it is, but we know that God is doing something. And yet we see what happens here in verse 9. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We've all had some crazy dreams before. Can you imagine Paul envisioning a man he has never seen before, asking him to come to a place he had never been before, and to do the work of the kingdom in a new way? But instead of getting frustrated and quitting, Paul comes to a place of obedience. He was open to receive from God this vision. And Paul's willingness to follow the leadership of God gave him the opportunity to see things that God was doing. And, and we can learn a powerful lesson here. Roadblocks remind us of who truly leads God's people. We really don't like facing roadblocks and being told no. We especially don't like misunderstanding or getting things wrong. But it's easy to forget that God is in charge. We are God's people. This is God's church. And despite the agendas we might have, the great plans that we put in place, or the creative ideas we have conceived, God is still leading. Now we can fight it. And we can ignore it, and we can do our best feign religious obedience. But there's a difference between truly being led by the Spirit of God and walking through the motions of religious piety. Roadblocks can come in, in many different forms. Sometimes roadblocks are people or failures or successes or unexpected changes or loss or resources or departures of key people or and so much more. And yet no matter the nature of the roadblock, they are opportunities to remind us that God is our leader. God is doing something when moments like the Macedonian vision come. What God is doing will not be made clear until we allow ourselves to be shaped and formed into 
a new way of seeing and hearing and doing. And it's all too easy to rush through roadblocks. No one likes being uncomfortable or uncertain, but it's in that uncertainty and uncomfortableness that God can do something profound. Therefore, the Macedonian moments of our life, individually and as a church, it's a time to pause, to listen, to see, to obey, and to be formed by God. When you look at the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a once-in-a-generation roadblock, if you will, I don't see a scarcity for University Baptist Church, but I see an abundance of our faithfulness to the spirit of God's leadership. Stop and just consider the last 19 months. When the stay-at-home order was issued, University Baptist Church chose to pay our MDO staff for three months, even though we weren't receiving revenue from children coming to the MDO. We were willing to go $40,000 in the hole to make sure people were provided for. We launched a live stream one week after the stay-at-home order was issued because we had already discerned months before the pandemic was a twinkle in our eye that doing online ministry was a priority for us. So instead of other churches clamoring to get the equipment, we had it ready and we were ready to go. Ministry was at the centerpiece of our focus during this pandemic. We provided dozens of people who were experiencing homelessness with coats and sleeping bags and other winter gear and staying warm initiative. We provided over 20 families at Thanksgiving meal kits for Highland Elementary School. We hosted over five drive-in movies, three outdoor large gatherings. We never once have had to shut the MDO down because of a COVID-19 outbreak because we maintain the highest standards of excellence of health and safety for our staff and for our children. We saw the greatest increase of participation in our spiritual formation and Sunday school classes. We hired a new staff member, Tanya Parks, all the way from Slovakia. That's not in Alabama, by the way. We managed an on-campus um, a campus-wide electrical and air-conditioned failure, replacing the systems and even getting a, a new roof along the way in the sanctuary. We stayed financially solvent because people saw the worth of our mission and our vision. And this is another critical lesson we must learn from our text. Roadblocks realign ourselves to actually follow the leadership of God into thriving. This was a moment of tremendous formation for the Apostle Paul, yes, but also for the church as a whole. This roadblock moment gave the church the opportunity to go beyond what they could see and what they could imagine. The first person that Paul leads to Jesus is a woman named Lydia. She would be the first European convert. She hosted Paul and his companions so that they could do the work, and Lydia's radical hospitality empowered the work of Paul and thousands more. Shortly into their journey, Paul and his companions are arrested, and during the night, a violent earthquake destroys the prison that they're in. Fearing for his job and his family, the jailer believes that the prisoners had escaped and decides to kill himself. But Paul shouts out to the man that they are still in their prison cells. Instead of taking his life, that night the jailer found new life in Jesus and later led his family to Christ. 
Paul would lead Aquila and Priscilla to Christ. These two sojourners of Paul and Corinth afforded him the opportunity to develop a business to fund their work. This power couple would go with him to to Ephesus to strengthen the churches there, and they were called Paul's helpers in Jesus Christ. As a result of the Macedonian vision, the churches in Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Galatia are established. The gospel was spreading into Europe. Thousands would come to know Christ in this new journey, and then hundreds of thousands more because of Paul's willingness to be formed by God to go beyond what he could see and what he could imagine. And yet this moment, Paul chose to be faithful to God's leadership, rolling up his sleeves and getting to work in God's calling in this specific moment and this specific time. Are we faithful to the leadership of God? If not, just how much thriving are we missing out on because we're so caught up on the road we think we need to travel, the agenda we feel is best, the things that we wanted to see happen? UBC, can we consider that maybe this is our Macedonia moment? God's dream for University Baptist Church has expressed itself in many different iterations in the last 74 years. But one thing has remained consistent. We are called to be faithful in being the presence of Jesus in Baton Rouge. What it looks like and how that takes shape has changed and morphed from the early days in the 50s to the boom of the 1980s. And although the ministry of the church has transformed many times in in nearly 75 years, if we look close enough, The passions and the faithfulness of each generation can be seen in their willingness to turn to God for a vision and for leadership. The question is, are we willing to discern and be formed by God to go beyond what we can see and what we can imagine? Do we believe that God is uniquely preparing us for such a time as this? We are here in Baton Rouge. Who is within this faith community, the assets, the resources, all the components preparing us to be successful if we're willing to live out God's calling? We've discerned new iterations of God's dream. We we must open our eyes to growing in the changing neighborhood around us. Within one square mile of UBC's campus, homes are being flipped by middle-aged and young families. Thousands of apartments are being built. Startup businesses are sparking. And over 50,000-plus students and faculty converge on LSU's campus every single day. Are we willing to spiritually seek together a vision of what God has called us to do that goes beyond what we can imagine and what we can see? Why can't University Baptist Church experience exponential growth like we see within our text? Why can't we enhance the way that we care for each other as we seek new ways to care for our community? Why can't we be a church who faithfully seeks to be formed in Christ, knowing that our formation leads us to ministry and to serving and to finding ways to care for our community? Why can't we be a church that provides the safest space for children to grow and to learn, but it's also a church who's figured out how to minister to those families and to care for them in their time of need. Why can't we be the church that's at the cutting edge of what it means to be online to create unique content for people to interact with? 
Why can't we be the church that continues to find unique ways to strengthen our relationships with one another and to leverage that to reach out to our community? Why can't we be the church that does the difficult and necessary work to understand that each generation needs a different way of being cared to and ministered to, but we do it in real and authentic ways? Why can't we be the church that recognizes that our Macedonian moment is here? The question is, will we be willing to boldly step forward in faith to do what God has called us to? These are a lot of really big questions. And often those big questions can overwhelming us, causing us to think about all the things that we have to do and how busy we are as a church and how busy we are in individual lives. But what's the name of the series? The Little Big Things. And the little big thing begins with being spirit-led. The little big thing begins with you and I individually choosing to daily discern what God is calling us to and to be faithful to that. And if you don't know what that looks like, it simply begins each day in prayer with asking God, God, who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do with my life? Who do you want us to be as a church? What are you doing in UBC's life? It's a new chapter to see that while the world is changing around us, we are uniquely placed in a location with these people and these set of circumstances to do things that we've never done before. We have been uniquely equipped and prepared for such a time as this and for such a work as this. Do you believe it? Do you believe that this is an opportunity for God to use you individually to add to the collective discerning of where God is leading us as a church? And are we willing to step out in faith to contribute ourselves to this Macedonian moment? Are we willing to follow the leadership of God into something beyond what we can see and what we can imagine? Are we willing to do the little big thing to follow the leadership of God? Are we willing to see that oversized results starts with sharing in a moment of being spirit-led and committing to that in God? Let's enter into a time of reflection and response this morning.